0: modern
1: modern modern Modern.
0: Modern. we're prepping for a voyage modern the force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration why don't you make that a
1: double modern
0: bar cart what's shaking cocktail fans welcome to episode 255 of the modern bar cart podcast i'm your host eric kozlik Thanks for joining me for this new and noteworthy episode where we track down some of the newest and, hey, most noteworthy bottles on the spirits market and review and evaluate them so that you know what's out there. I'm joined this time around by my good friend and longtime drinking buddy, my partner in spirits and cocktails, Ethan Hall, and we evaluate a gin, a tequila, and a bourbon for you this show. We like to mix it up and we like to kind of evaluate what's in the glass, not so that we can give it a number rating or a letter rating and tell you how much we like it, but to tell you what's going on here and maybe see if we can pull out some trends or some learnings that might indicate something about what's going on in the market right now. I don't think we need a whole lot more preamble, so please enjoy this new and noteworthy Spirits Review episode for winter slash spring 2023. Ethan Hall, how the heck are you?
1: Oh, you know, just uh, just chipper as hell.
0: <laughs> good, good. Well, you're joining me on a Friday night, a little happy hour session of New and Noteworthy. For listeners who haven't joined us for one of these episodes in the past, essentially, this is the second edition. What we're trying to do is we're trying to take spirits of different kinds from perhaps lesser known creators out there. And feature them so that you know what's new and noteworthy. You know, we tend to get kind of sl- uh, slotted into these verticals with social media and with our own preferences. And this is sort of an exercise in both breaking out of those verticals and exploring more widely, and also. I did a little bit more work this time on putting together a bit of a dossier. Ethan, you have that on your end. And and my hope is that maybe you and I can, can also model some of the anti bullshit detection that good consumers can do. Not to say that there's a lot of bullshit that we're about to taste through, but just sort of like the questions that you need to ask based on certain label claims and proof points and production nuances that can lead you into understanding the true nature of a spirit, as opposed to perhaps what they're trying to sell to you so I don't know what do, you, what do you think about that
1: sounds good you uh, I think the part that I uh, that I'm appreciating about this is do have a couple of tasting notes that they've provided but tasting notes are what do you say I don't want to say that no answer is wrong but if you'll recall when we started tasting spirits live we were really trying to go for the least the least obvious tasting notes on here. Uh, so I'm not looking to prove any of these wrong, but I want to see if I can give if I can pass back a little feedback to these makers on some notes that will never make it in.
0: Sure, sure. Absolutely. And and that's the beautiful part about tasting not just by yourself is you get to kind of bounce things off somebody else like sonar. So with that, let's jump in to our first spirit of the evening here. And um, so I've cracked these bottles just to get you the samples, but I have not tasted them myself. So this is me going in blind, not as to the bottle, but as to what it tastes like. So our first bottle here is this Wonderbird Gin Number 61. And it's by Wonderbird Spirits. They are based out of Mississippi. And so I'm gonna pull up the dossier here as I kind of pour myself the first sample here. But notably, this is a rice based distillate what do you think about rice based distillates gin whiskey or otherwise
1: well one thing I okay so there's a couple things I could say on commodity crops maybe this isn't actually where we're trying to go we want to taste this I'm curious where they get their rice from because they are in uh you know a rice growing state mm-hmm. not important um, I think you can get uh, you can get sugars out of out of any rice and uh, I'm a Honestly, I'm a fan of rice based alcohols. I think they're uh, I think they're fun. Cool.
0: Yeah. So I, I don't think I put it into the dossier, but I, I believe that they are sourcing all their rice very locally or as locally as possible. So it's a it's a Mississippi operation. And, you know, I, I think the implication is and maybe there might be some regional sourcing. Who knows? But I think they're getting their rice locally. Um, so that's cool. It's kind of a, a grain to glass type thing. Now, the interesting thing about grain to glass that I will point out right off the bat is like, usually grain to glass is not then run through a column still and distilled the continuously and then botanically infused. So, I mean, w- maybe I'll just leave that hanging in the clouds uh, as unusual as opposed to good or bad, but what what do you get on the nose?
1: Nothing inoffensive, which I know isn't really helpful, but I'm I'm getting almost nothing. So I'm finding really? it hard to believe that this is a 45% ABV because my nose hairs are fully intact when I go in for that one.
0: Uh, it is soft. It's soft. Okay. Nothing inoffensive. So you're not getting the alcohol burn, which I agree. I'm... They're not is,
1: redistilling some MGP or – well, not even MGP. What's the stuff that comes in the plastic barrels that gets used for industrial purposes, sometimes bitters companies and other stuff? They're not using that, and it's it's apparent.
0: Yeah, it's it's a very uh, – I, I would say it's floral. It reminds me of like wild carrot, um, which is sort of in the family of the, you know, like the Oris Angelica type mm-hmm. uh, botanicals that are commonly used in – In gins, but I say wild carrot because it's like it's got a little bit of mentholation, it's got a good, like, floral sweetness, almost Mm -hmm. like a chamomile. Uh, And I know that they have some botanicals listed on their website. I I honestly don't care too much about the botanicals, but the two that I will point out that seem really relevant to our discussion are pine needles and red clover uh, foraged directly from the distillery grounds so i can believe the clover
1: i wasn't that wasn't what i was going that wasn't what i was going for first it was uh i I was bought in on your on your wild carrot it's definitely got meadow definitely got meadow vibes Mm
0: -hmm. Mm, meadow vibes for sure and I mean, we've used red clover before. We use that in our uh, bespoke bitters that we make for um, Sagmore Spirit here in uh, in Maryland, with their horse racing tradition. And uh, I can't confirm. Red clover is a beautiful thing to work with, and I, I can't imagine being able to, um, you know, play around with stuff that you've freshly foraged and you know, uh, perhaps dried right right there on the ground. So let's. Taste this because I'm curious. Like you know, I'm curious if this is one of those gins that's like one way on the nose and one way on the palate, or if it's just going to be you know more of the same symphony we're getting. So, oops I already uh, I'm going go for my first taste. Well, what do you think?
1: Well, I was going to say Red Clover. Red Clover, come on over. Um, it is. Mm. It's in there. Mm. Um, you know, this is a this is a bit of a divergence. Um, Doing similar, I don't want to. I don't want to use. All right, I I'm going to throw a risk your way. This is. I'm not trying to divert you away from tasting, but by calling mm-hmm. out that it's using koji and that it's using rice, I think it's. Uh, I, I think I'm primed to look for. I'm primed to look for sake, and I'm primed to look for things like soju, and I, I don't want to go there right now. But it is. Um, I'm not. I'm actually. Okay, after I've tasted it and went back to nose it, I get a little bit of the juniper, not aggressively, mm-hmm. um, but I'm not getting the mm-hmm. – um, I'm honestly not getting the the sake-like notes. I refuse to.
0: I get something almost tea-like, you know? Okay. Um, and it's uh, – you know, where we were seeing the absence of that alcohol burn on the nose, it, it's a very warming – gin you know when it kind of gets down into the throat and you know some of these chakras down here and i like that it's it's a it asserts itself in that way one thing right off the bat that i think would be really challenging with this gin would be a gin and tonic i would say if you're going to gin and tonic this particular distillate You're going to want to really focus on the citrus. I think this is a gin that goes better with lemon than it does with lime. So I would go with those lemon gin sours before I would be looking at lime. I don't know if that hits with you.
1: You went gin tonic. I was picturing my martini with this. Um, This Mm. has some Vesper qualities in my mind. I just, I want this. I I want this. uh, Yeah, I was thinking cold and uh, lemon twist. Yeah. It's um, it doesn't need a lot. Uh, what are, hmm. I, I'm not so what I'm not getting. We'll just, um, let me run through some of the things I'm not getting that I that kind of I was primed for. Other Asian gins I've had a little bit heavier on the spices, the cinnamon, the going more going more southeast uh, Asian, Japanese. What I'm getting, what I'm also mm. not getting is I'm not getting like anything aggressive and seaweedy. I am getting. Mm. I'm getting, I'm getting white tea.
0: Yes, A little jasmine action. Oh yeah, a little floral, maybe a, maybe a mm-hmm. little
1: floral jasmine. But I'm not getting those earthy flavors. I you know I might have otherwise been primed to think of. Um, this actually seems like it would serve a really nice counterpoint to a lot of those things. I could t- I could take down some nori chips right
0: now. Sure, sure. Yeah, I was actually gonna say go salty like a Montsantia sherry, um, because you know when you mentioned Vesper, I was like ooh, but I don't know if this would be like a little bit too same-same with Lille Blanc because it's it'd be almost like too, they'd be kind of gentling into one another and you wouldn't have that tension that came out in the end product. On the other hand, you know, I think what this says is that, you know, we, we have both tried spirits uh, across a, a number of different styles that have used koji, which is the the aspergillus strain that's used to sacrifice the starches in rice and, and kick off that fermentation process. Very often it leads to some of those funky, earthier tones that you're referring to. And in this case, I think, you know, it's interesting. The argument of this spirit, if there's an argument sort of under the surface that I'm discerning, is that maybe koji is being used to kind of tug out some different flavors than we're used to getting. And maybe that's one of the benefits of being able to do this distillation from grain to glass, mm-hmm. um, in, in a place where perhaps Koji is not necessarily used all that often. Maybe, maybe we're seeing an interaction between a microbe and a, and a, a foreign environment and and maybe some other native yeast that, that's somewhat compelling. So, uh, I think it's interesting. I love it. What do you think? I'm a
1: fan. I'm going to give you that tasting note that they won't use on their website because what does it mean? Unsweetened cotton candy.
0: Hmm. Well, isn't that an oxymoron? <laughs> Ex- that's the problem. <laughs>
1: there is something about there is something about this. It's a combination of the mouthfeel, a few of the flavors mm-hmm. I'm left with, where I don't want to say cotton candy. I think that's actually I don't want to say insulting, but I'm not getting carnival vibes out of this gin. But what I am getting is there's some cotton candiness that isn't related to the sweetness that comes along with this. That's where I'm going. It's sure. uncaramelized, so I'm not getting caramel notes. I'm getting. Something pre-caramelization.
0: I think, to me, in that universe that you're describing, it tastes a lot like chamomile. Mm,
1: yeah, chamomile um, is a much I mean, easier way to say unsweetened cotton candy,
0: which blends itself into those field and grassy and floral that we were. We were to, I, I've been making a, a good deal of chamomile tea here. It's January, after all. You know, we all like a, a nice little bedtime. You know, hmm, nice little mug of tea. Um, so we've talked about use cases. We've gone through some of the flavor notes that were pulling out maybe related to some of the production stuff. A couple of last fun facts that I want to throw out. This is a, you know, we we mentioned this is 45% ABV. The MSRP, 48.99. So this is coming in just under 50 bucks. So we're in like botanist territory. This is not the price that you would pay for the average craft gin out there. This is maybe seven to nine dollars more than that, I would say, but what do we have? We have a beautiful bottle really nice label, good experience from like a user interface standpoint, which I like. It's a square bottle, but it's got rounded edges. It's easy to hold. It's easy to see how much is in the bottle. It's easy to pour from the bottle. I didn't spill anything when I was doing this. So it's a good product from the UX UI standpoint. And Um, The other fun fact that I I will throw out there is that um, while the gentlemen who started this distillery were learning, they actually worked with um, some folks, including David T. Smith who's the author of the Gin Dictionary, a bunch of other amazing books. He's uh, with the American Distilling Institute uh, with the judging that we do every year. So shout out to David T. Smith. We have a past interview with him if anyone's interested. And then also uh, master distiller Todd Buckley, who's uh, just an awesome guy, uh, also does a lot of judging with ADI and and is a really, really great teacher of distilling. So I wanted to pull out just a couple of little personal touch points there. But um, Ethan, why don't you wrap us up on the Wonderbird Gin number 61. What do you think? Overall, final closing thoughts.
1: Um, love it. Also love the move if you're a gin dictionary writer to go help people make more gin because it justifies the creation of a new edition. Fucking brilliant move, David. Mm-hmm. All conspiracies mm-hmm. aside, this is uh, this is worthy of being a new gin this year. Um, putting it... Between a Hendrix and a botanist, uh, still both below Monkey Forty Seven, it's an interesting space to occupy. Um, I'll come back. I'm going to come back to this one. I'm, I'm impressed by it. I'm, I, it's a little, it's a little different.
0: I think the best part about this is that the South is putting its hat into the ring for the gin game, which I which I think is a great thing. The South has always been, you know, traditionally in the American consciousness, whiskey, whiskey, whiskey. Good. Now we got gin. Good. Now we're using a native grain. Awesome. That's interesting. And the last thing I will say about Wonderbird Spirits is that they also do have a premium experimental gin that uh, is using magnolia Ooh. as a botanical. They didn't send us that one this time around, but hey, maybe motivation for future review I would phrase it
1: hell out of that yeah this is i would if i saw this one i would if i saw this one i would order it this is a knowing that this is there i'm gonna keep an eye out because it it was fun i'll also be mixing it you gave me you gave me plenty for a couple of couple of vespers or some tonics or something
0: awesome well report back and we'll be on now to our next all
1: right this is the right
0: Yes sir. So what we've got for our Ooh. next bottle, let me just pull it up. Is we have another cool bottle here. This is Neat. the Tears of Yorona, which is kind of like the double L like in uh, in llama, uh Orona. And this has a really interesting story behind it. As I pour, let me let me just give you the the overview of that story here. So we'll talk a little bit about the guy who makes it, but the the story is uh, La Llorona is Spanish for the one who cries. And it's this sort of it's this myth or legend that kind of spans the native and colonial cultures of Mexico. So it was, you know, a lot of people who've done research on it have found that it has gone back to potentially like the Aztecs. Uh, but then the Spanish have their own tradition with it and sort of like, it's almost like a dovetailing of like the day of the dead and some other like potentially like native and, and colonial uh, cultural things. But so it's basically a, a woman who cries, I think almost like a banshee, but instead of screaming, it's crying and it's a spirit, a kind of a restless spirit who wanders certain regions crying in the night. And um, so that's, the the story behind the name and i was i'll be honest i was a little confused by that until something i learned later on and we'll get to that when we talk about some of the barrel aging but before we do that let's let's give this a little nose and as we do that let's let's also just keep in mind so the category that this resides in is tequila so it's got to be made of 100% blue Weber agave and it also falls into the extra añejo subset of aging for tequila, which means that it needs to be aged, I believe the rule is three three years, I could be wrong on that, I that's one thing I didn't read up on uh, before we started recording, this is actually the lowest proof spirit that we are tasting, it's 86 proof, 43% ABV, and um, aging wise this is aged five years right so i think normally the threshold for extra on yeho is three years this is aged for five years and it's maybe not so apparent in the tasting glass itself but if you look at this bottle i mean this looks like a like booker's bourbon to me like this is this has some serious oak on it
1: it's um so you you put into your dossier question about what is specific gravity um specific gravity is the density Mm. of the spirit Alcohol is a low, um, I believe, has a lower specific. Is it, It's I believe the point that they're getting at at me. Well, you can't because I just deleted Facebook. It's a great day. Um, at me, at me anyway. <laughs> um, if I'm wrong, but th- that would make this a little bit less, a uh, little bit less diluted. Uh, in terms of the flavors coming out of the barrel. So, I'm not surprised at the rich color on this if, if it's all natural. I'm not accusing anything. I just know that that's a thing that I didn't do the research on is where is the color coming from truly? What kind of barrels all, all of that? And I'll continue to talk through that with you. Um,
0: yeah.
1: On the nose, I just want to kind of get into this a little bit. It, um, not it's it's not green pepper that i'm getting it's almost
0: i'm getting that green
1: well i was gonna almost go a little like um it's like the i was gonna say it's like the outside of a green pepper Mm
0: -hmm. when you
1: pull it off your plant Mm -hmm. not or the stem of it not really the interior oh sure it doesn't have that uh it doesn't have that stringent note
0: yeah. Well, so it's got a green core, right? And sometimes when I'm thinking about a barrel aged spirit, I'm thinking about like when you look into the glass, that's a beautiful thing about a tasting glass is that generally they're round. When you look into the tasting Glasses glass. Glasses generally are round things. And, well, they can, they can be square. I don't know. I've tasted plenty of stuff from square glasses, but when you, when you look into the center of that glass and you stick your nose into the center of that glass, you can almost imagine that sensory imprint as being, having like a center and then having some edges. And at the center, I'm getting that green, like it's distinctly agave. This is, I I would not confuse this for anything else if it was poured next to a bunch of other barrel spirits, but around the edges, a lot of really nice confectionery stuff definitely caramel Um, caramel and vanilla are two of the things that really come out on the nose for me. Like it's very, um, very, I wouldn't even say bourbony. It's almost rummy in, in the notes that you're getting around the edges or perhaps which leads us into a discussion about barrels, maybe influenced by brandy. It's kind of got some of that going on. Let's look at the barrels that this is aging because I think this really, I am
1: going to say that your brandy thing is, Dead the fuck on. Well, they're at least in terms of what I'm getting on the getting on the nose. It kind of does. It does remind me of that.
0: Sure. So, so this is aged in um, three types of barrels: Scotch, brandy, and sherry. And oh. so this would be like it. It doesn't say that it is aged in any like new charred oak barrels, uh, based on what I'm pulling off the website. So this is almost like a straight to barrel finish product. And I'm guessing based on the color, these are probably first fill of whatever they were, because there's a lot of color on this. So if those barrels were already like, you know, had a, already had a spirit sitting in them, you know, the the age that you're seeing on this, I compared it to bourbon a minute ago, but it's almost apples and oranges because it doesn't seem like they're using any new charred oak. So let me put a little
1: more of this in here. It's um it's really I am tasting it now. It is. It's given me a um, Ooh. The problem is you gotta you gotta put something things on new and noteworthy I don't like. This is really good. <laughs> yeah. I don't wanna just come off as the guy who <laughs> likes everything.
0: Well, so this isn't new. This would be sort of a noteworthy, and we'll we'll talk about that when we get to to price point on the bottle, but um yeah, it's got it's got that really nice uh, agave. The aroma of the agave comes through almost picture perfect on the palate. Like what you're smelling in terms of the that that green core, is, and with a little bit of mineral character too. They, they mentioned that these are grown on the volcanic slopes of the Mexican Highlands, where agave grows slowly, and uh, they're purporting that it achieves a higher starch content there. And, you know, then they're slow roasted and then they also have a uh, they're fermented on a proprietary yeast. So there's 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 at, at the very least, even if we can't verify some of these things, they're signaling to us that there is some care being put in on the front end before this goes into barrels. And then, of course, with the barrels, we also know that they're. Intentionally doing this complex play of branding uh, of using Scotch brandy and sherry, which is like think about it like Scotland, France, and Spain. Like it's 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 almost like hey, we're gonna pull from like all these different like the, all of the best distilling traditions in Europe and like bring these over and age them in Mexico.
1: Oh, I was thinking it was uh, this is not true, but the boat was just making stops along the way um, <laughs> as it came down from Scotland. Probably not. Probably got them. Through a third party. This is this is really good. Um, I'm getting okay, this is gonna be a this is gonna be an interesting one. Combining my note earlier with from the you know had a little bit of the sharpness of the pepper and the greenness mm-hmm. um, coming in here. Got a little parsnip thing carrying mm-hmm. all the way through. Interesting. Uh, that's my uh, that's my less my, my tasting notes will get less less oh. off base over time. But parsnip is a is a tasting note, not to not to let go of all the things the Oak is really clearly doing. Uh, there's, there's some, there's some grapes doing a lot of heavy lifting. Oh, yeah, It gives me, I don't want to say the raisiny thing. That's like a little bit lazy. Um, it's not toffee.
0: Well, and there's an open question too, because we have two types of grapes. We've got brandy and then we've got Sherry, both grapes. And so my question when I just see Sherry is like, well, there are many varieties of sherry experience. So, what do we think if we had to make a guess on the type of sherry cast that's being used here? What do you think? I mean, the most common is Oloroso.
1: Cooking sherry? Um, no, it's no. That's a that that that, that was rude of me to even state. Um, I'm not I'm not as great on the sherrys. I'm gonna say that it reminds me of a lot of whiskeys that have the um, Pedro Jimenez uh, finish on uh-huh. it.
0: Yeah, so I that, see. That's always the one I forget about. Um, it's definitely not fino or Montiato or Manzanilla. I would say it's either an Oloroso or maybe more likely what you're saying, a PX Pedro Jimenez cask. That's that's interesting because I think that's some of the creaminess I'm getting. I think that's where the the bulk of those confectionery notes are coming from because you do get a good you get good structure from the Scotch and then I think that the brandy is almost like a bridge between those scotch and sherry barrels here for me. I think it's it's doing an interesting thing, and uh, one other note, too. I think this stands apart as an agave spirit, not only because, and as a barrel-finished, but not new oak agave spirit, in that it has the lightness of a Blanco or Silver tequila, unaged, but it has the complexity of all these barrel finishes without having the thick kind of really creamy mouthfeel. It still has that kind of light mouthfeel that you would expect from um like some of the Spanish style rums or honestly from something that was not aged in new charred oak. Hmm. Do you get that lighter mouthfeel?
1: I get it on the back of my tongue. That For um sure. It's it's weird because I um, I don't want to conflate lighter mouthfeel with watery because I mean, it's not no. that. There's and you know my former proclivity for higher proof spirits because I was just like, look, if I wanted water added, I'd do it myself. Um, this, is... this is this is good. It's not uh it's not sessionable. <laughs> it's forty-three percent. But um, I
0: think it feels it feels a little yeah, hotter. I, could, I mean, this is the lowest proof thing that we're tasting right now. We got two 45s and a forty three. It's definitely hotter than the gin for mm-hmm. sure. Um, hmm. But again, certain things like uh, one of the other questions is like, what do you expect from an agave spirit? And I think some of that some of that heat is is expected. So I think in that Shush. respect, it's you know kind of trending toward what you expect from the category. Uh, but going back to my confusion about like why this is called the Tears of Yorona. So apparently the te- the angels share in Mexico, they refer to as angels ah. tears. And so we've got this wandering spirit who's crying. She's an angel. You know, uh, uh, now it makes sense. Mm-hmm. So with the extra añejo, this is almost extra, extra añejo because it's almost twice. It's, you know, like 66% longer than it needs to be to be considered extra on Yeho. And so I think what they're referencing here is that all of that evaporation is taking place. Right. So, um, hell
1: yeah. If you were a, if you were a scorned, if you, if, if you were scorned and then your spirit didn't get to pass on, pour up, get a shot. That's that. She does. She earned that. She earned her shot. So yeah, I'm, I'm happy sharing that, uh, sharing that with, uh, La Yorona. And uh, learning that there's this legend that I'm I'm serious and kind of kind of into this idea that well this isn't crypto. I think we might need to go down a go down a fork where we've got spirits that are ingested by spirits versus cryptozoological phenomena sure. and. The idea is whatever's lost in the barrel, either Bigfoot's coming in and taking a yes. swig, or, the, or there's a poltergeist coming to take a little. I think the Icelandic a, a the, the
0: Icelandic gnomes or whatever would be a good one. with the Brenivin. Oh, the gnomes mm-hmm. share. Yeah, I'm also thinking about the.
1: Uh, yeah the the spirits that haven't passed on they got a party too. So. Exactly.
0: So a couple last notes on this. I just want to um, circle back to the to the maker. His name's German Gonzalez. <laughs> and the last name's got a lot of syllables. It's uh, Groshetegui, Groshetegui. Yeah. Um, uh And he apparently came from a, a family that distilled tequila. I guess his father is the one who created Chinaco, which is uh, purportedly the first ultra-premium tequila imported into the U.S. Uh, and so he is a second-generation tequilero, And this is kind of his magnum opus. And so to that end, the MSRP for this bottle is $300 on reserve bar. You can pick it up, verify that if you want to. But it's a one liter bottle. So you're getting, you know, kind of 33% more than you would if you were ordering just a regular 750. So that drops the price point down to like, you know, like 225 or something like that. Nonetheless, this would be in your, you know, premium, you know, moving toward super premium category. And I don't know. What do you What do you think? I think it. Um, I I think in terms of complexity. I think in terms of thoughtfulness. And I mean, I I'm not going to mix with this. I'll be honest. There's there's too much going on here, and it's too different from so many things. And uh, you know, with the extra añejo thing, there's almost this like force field around that designation that that makes me afraid of mixing with it. But I, this is a sipper to me. What do you, what do you think for the price point and the and the uh, the use case?
1: Yeah, I deliberately didn't look at that part of the page. It is, it is really good. Yeah, it is really really good. I have a very hard time awarding like this is how many dollars your spirit is worth, and I know that tequila. Is that agave is incredibly long growing, incredibly hard to grow. And you're talking about something that very, very, very well. I mean, let me just say, well thought out process, five year old tequila. I'm here for it. It's just it's very good. It's just doing something else that I'm not getting from a lot of my other spirits. And it might go back to where you were talking about there's a heavy light play going on there mm-hmm. that makes this really, really fun to drink.
0: I think you're spot on with that. The lightness and the heaviness. Like the, There's an implied heaviness, but it's not heavy. And I, I, think, that's, I think that is the, the genius of this particular bottle. One last thing I'm going to leave hanging in the clouds as sort of like a, maybe not a devil's advocate, but sort of like a question to the category and the people who make these spirits. Extra Añejo. Great. It's aged for three years. It's aged in Mexico. We don't know how it's climate controlled. We don't know what kind of barrels are being used. I wish there was just a little bit more transparency. Uh, Even uh, this also bleeds into the world of like Caribbean rums, because like it's great that you're making rules and you're, you're drawing lines so that people can understand these classifications, but I'm not quite sure I understand what that means because this spirit was baffling in certain ways, and I don't think they could have gotten away with aging this for five years in new oak barrels. And so again, speaks to some big brain power on the part of the person who's putting this out in the world, but also maybe kind of identifies a place where the standards are a little bit kind of wishy-washy on what it actually means to meet these criteria. or maybe it's on the industry side to be like, "Hey, you should maybe be a little bit more transparent about the aging condition that these barrels are subjected to." So I know what kind of evaporation's gone, stuff like that. Uh, a very picky critique, but uh, but something that would give me a little bit more insight than we have now into the magic that creates this beautiful spirit.
1: You're hunting for objectivity and. Sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna play this because I complained a couple weeks ago about a deconstructed uh, cocktail that was <laughs> not actually you are complain you are complaining about a lack of standardization when a set of standards was set by a group of people largely influenced by the, by a few companies located in Kentucky. Sure, and I'm not saying that. I have a better answer for how to measure and determine whether this is worth it. It's, yeah, I, I think my my sense would be give it time, and then my lib- and then my business person libertarian sense would say the market will tell you if this is if this is a three hundred dollar bottle. I'm a, I'm interested to watch what else they're coming out with mm. to get a sense for. Um, whether we're measuring it correctly.
0: Well, I think also, you know, that's a sort of supply and demand issue with all these fancy finishing barrels and the of amount of evaporations happening. So, you know, that specialness is uh, sort of directly tied to how rare those barrels are and how hard they are to get your hands on and how much evaporates. Are you saying it's
1: cross-dependency where even if I'm trying to not to decolonialize the spirit, we're still dependent on a bunch of barrels that come from, yeah, that's, man, that's a fucker of a problem. And and, and not, (laughs) and not
0: only that, but a bunch of barrels that have uh, products in them that are, uh, have demand for them so much lower than the spirits that are finished in them. that in many cases, they're just making low quality Sherry or port and dumping the barrels just so that they can send them off to the eventual finishers. So that's an entire separate story. Why don't we move on? We don't
1: know that about this tequila. Let's go on to the next one,
0: because I'm a fan. Never tried a tequila like it. Yeah, it's beautiful. This episode is brought to you by Near Country Provisions. And I thought that since it's a newish year, I'd share some thoughts on how switching to local farm-raised meat and line-caught seafood from right here in the mid-Atlantic is a really solid New Year's resolution. First off, this is one of the few resolutions that'll be easy to stick to. That's because every month Near Country delivers right to your door and they give you a ton of customization options so that you can really personalize what's in your delivery. I have literally never seen a delivery service with such good customization and add-on options. Full stop. Second, when you see the quality of this meat. From the luxuriously dark tones of their grass-fed beef to the insane marbling on some of the cuts of their pasture-raised pork, you'll know immediately that you've got something special. And that carries through on the plate with nourishing, hearty food for the whole family. I'm a new dad, and my daughter loves sampling my food when we cook up a meal using Near Country Provisions proteins. And as if that wasn't enough... You can feel good knowing that Near Country sources their food from farmers that use sustainable and regenerative agricultural practices that create healthy animals and a healthy environment in which they can roam. A great example are their eggs, which are sourced from Warrington, Virginia, where their farm partner adheres to the highest standards of pasture-raising chickens, which means healthier birds and rich, dark yolks when you crack them open in the pan. Head over to nearcountry.com and enter the code BARCART, that's B-A-R-C-A-R-T, all one word, when you sign up for your subscription to receive two free pounds of bacon or ground beef in your first delivery. Resolve to improve the quality of the protein in your diet and vote with your wallet to support ethical, sustainable local agriculture here in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. Now back to the show. All right, so the final, the final bottle that we have today is uh, by a company called Oak and Eden. Okay. And this is an in-bottle finished product. And this is a essentially, it's a, it's their wheat and honey, honey-soaked oak. Uh, and the oak refers to, I don't know, I guess I should, you see an oak spiral in the bottle here, oh, right? So it is actually um,
1: bottle-finished. Because I was going to say most spirits are glass-finished.
0: Well... I think we have some stuff to talk about here, and I have not tasted this. I'm not opposed in any way to a, to a, a finished bourbon, to a, a bourbon that's bastardized with other stuff in it. Like, to me, that's more exciting than anything. I think bourbon needs to, you know, get out of its rut a little bit. Well, you don't have a beard on your neck, so I kind of gathered that you're... It's clear. We're clear. Um, so... Let's get let's get let's get nose and palate on this, and then we'll dig in because I have I have some some things I wanted to to run by you here. What do you get on the nose?
1: I get a lot of your bourbony things. Um, do you know anything about? <laughs> no, I know this is. I'm sorry to do that one. It does remind me of a weeded bourbon, which I know is what they're going for. They're they're giving you what they're they're giving you what you asked for, or they're giving They are they are. Let's, let's just put it this way. The pitcher is just throwing strikes. He's not. Yeah. <laughs> he's not doing anything fancy. That's true. It's, it, it smells good, but bourbon smells good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So the mash bill, let's talk about that. Uh, 51% corn, 45% wheat. So this is not just a weeded bourbon. This is a Very like weird. almost like a fit. This is almost like a 50, 50. It's a wheat whiskey. Um, yeah. and, and 4% malted barley, which I think is smart. I actually get a little bit of that malted barley, um, to be honest. Like, I think uh, if there's anything you're going to throw in there for that little bit of chewiness, that little slight bit of earthiness, that malted barley was smart here. Um, And so with the the product description on the website, I I think this is actually a typo, because after bottling our four-grain bourbon, right, they stated that the mash bill was only three grains. So... Could be two types of one of the grains. Perhaps um, we place an American oak spire in the bottle, so it's not a spiral; it's a spire, okay. and uh, they're the only folks out there calling it a spire, which is perhaps aspirational.
1: What about an oak obelisk? Uh,
0: it's a spiral. I, I think it. It's. Uh, I, I think it should just stay a spiral. So it's it's soaked in honey, right? So the the finishing of this whiskey is done with this oak spiral. So it's aged before. It's not like they're putting white dog in this bottle. They're putting a barrel aged, like perfectly serviceable, I would imagine, weeded whiskey into the bottle. Then they're putting in this honey soaked oak spiral and then it kind of finishes and it infuses as they go. Now I do want to point out that that's this company's bread and butter, this uh Oak and Eden company, because they have two lines. They have the their barrel finish or their spiral finished line, which is just different types of Oak. So they'll have like a toasted French Oak and like a different, I I assume different char levels of Oak. And it's just the Oak that's going into the whiskey, but then they'll have the infused line, which is what we have right now. So this is honey. They also have like a coffee. They have one that's also like, they have a spiral that's like been infused with rum. So they're infusing it with different spirits even. So, uh, I, you can see the bifurcation there as opposed to like just oak. Okay. Or-
1: I, I like some of this conceptual. Yeah. Um, I love the idea that you could. All right, So could you get me an idea, just rough dimensions and character and texture of this oak um, going in there? Is sure. it, charred?
0: Is it? Uh, it looks like it's just able to fit through the uh, through the the bottle. So it's not like the bottle was made. It's not, this is not like a, this is not like poor Williams where they're where they're like aging, the putting the bottle on the oak spire and letting the spire grow. Yeah, <laughs> um, it looks fairly dark. It looks like maybe like a. Let me see if I can get it. Maybe like a char three. Um, okay. But I, I I don't know what a char oh you, so it is well, char- you can't equate so you can't char- equate that though like a char three is a barrel and there's like it's way different surface area than a spiral so this is probably not even a char three it's it's apples and oranges to that but it's dark I'll put it that way it's dark it's not flaking off there's no real sediment in the bottom of it so this may be like a char two and a half char three it's- I don't know it's
1: all right so here's my reasoning on all that I just wanted to make sure I wasn't completely off base here. All right, so the idea of getting a so so getting a soaked piece of oak in there is, I imagine, to replicate. Not replicate, because that's not doing justice. They're doing something different from other people. But I'm thinking about the rum barrel, where you could do it with like a sherry barrel or a scotch barrel, whatever you want to do. Probably more like the sherry and rum. And you're just giving your, yourself a chance at refinishing the whiskey or finishing it in a different way. I don't think
0: it's... You know, we're, well, what I want to finishing it, put it this way, finishing it while you're not paying rent on the barrel.
1: Right. And we're talking about, I mean, it also seems like a great way to recycle no longer usable barrels, um, ones that might be damaged. But we're getting into this with the last one is what are you trying to achieve by applying oak and applying a thing that was in the oak? You see like thing. you see whiskeys that are finished in barrels that had coffee beans or maple syrup in them. It's the same thing. Sure. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there's the part of me that just doesn't give a shit if they're doing it that way or doing it a different way. It's, yeah, I mean, it's a way to add more oak to your bourbon and that's an end point. I think they're achieving the end point.
0: Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's also, I, I think about it. It's like bottles where there's things in the bottle. There's like this inherent like, ooh, like kind of like, yay, look at this factor. It's It's fun. It's fun. We can just go out there and say it's fun to see something in your bottle, uh, whether that's a, a snake in the case of some of those weird snake-infused spirits or, <laughs> like like I mentioned, the Poire Williams. Like, that's delightful. Yeah. And to, to know that there's something going on kind of continuously, it it's 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 neat. And I, I'll say, like, as a bourbon, this is, like, if you were to tell me this is just bourbon, I'd be like, hmm, a little sweet. But I think if you were to tell me that this is a honey-infused bourbon – my impulse is like wow that's not nearly as sweet as i was thinking for like a hunt like this isn't there are certain big brands that have the honey from a certain state as their as the name of oh, their this product. is
1: a way i thought this was going to be a grown-up version of this it's nothing yes. it's nothing like that.
0: no it's light it's nuanced it's I, I i wouldn't say sophisticated but it's restrained right at the very least it is a restrained kind of approach to it and i, I think that's smart like, because you're already going, you're you're coming out strong with the, with a bit of a shtick, which is like, hey, we've got these spirals in our bottles, but at least the product itself is restrained. And for me, I think that's the way that you build respectability for the approach. And actually, the one interesting thing that I found is that they actually have trademarked. I don't, I don't know that I put it in the dossier, but they actually tr- oh, uh, oak, and e- oak and Eden. In bottle finishing, so the phrase, yep. quote, in dash bottle finishing, that is a trademark of this company. So they care enough about the process to protect it with intellectual property, which I think is kind of smart. Um, they, they chose a really generic version of that to protect, which means that now all those big companies can't do something the same and use that term. They gotta go and find some other way to talk about it. Um, but they ca- they care enough about the process to double down on. And I think what it offers is some really interesting potentials. So like, especially as things get weird, like honey, interesting, but I want to try the coffee stuff. I want to try the rumps. I want to, I want it to get weird. And they do have a line that they call their, their anthro line. If you go onto their website, you'll see that they're partnering with musical artists, kind of like um, lesser known celebrities, perhaps to, you know, say like, Hey, how can we create one of these infused or finished products that really says who you are as an artist or a person. Um, and I think this is, this is an interesting way to try and scale that because there's a lot that can be done with the surface area of this spiral and the different types of infusions. Um, so I don't know. I, I like it. I think it, I think it's good. It's not the best American whiskey I've had, but, but we're also living in an age where there's a lot of really good bourbon out there. So, um, for for a weeded whiskey with a touch of honey, I think it's got good restraint. But you know, what are your overall thoughts on on this, and maybe what you'd use it for?
1: Yeah. So we didn't really get into tasting notes, which I think is fine because it would really just be telling me which category, which lane of bourbon it it drives in, and that's yeah. not really fair. Um, I if this were if this were served to me. Or if I were, if someone if someone offered this to me, I'd drink it. It's really it, it's really good, and not only would I drink it, because that's not saying much. Um, it's I would have a perfect amount of respect for this being offered. It's good. It is. It tastes good. It is very. Um, yeah, what you were saying before about like it it threw me off because I was expecting a certain degree of sweetness and that. Um, and I don't want to throw others others under the bus because I don't know they do it, but there's an there's an easy way to replicate that the bee flavor, the beeswax flavor, and they're not doing it, and that would be like an easy be a layup. I've seen beeswax done well and poorly in cocktails. Um, tune in a couple episodes ago for you, uh, but uh, elsewhere as well. It's yeah, to me, it's a it's maybe it it makes bourbon almost a little too approachable. It's the only thing I would knock it. And that's not a knock. That's bourbon's approachable. But yeah, as well, far as a whiskey goes, it's definitely, it's it's definitely very
0: good. Put it this way. It's it's a solid bourbon and it's, and it's got other stuff in it. And the way that I would drink this is with a twist mm. and on a rock. Mm. On a rock with a twist. So like normally it's like, oh, you sipping this neat? It, it, that's kind of like a sign of like, how much do you respect this bourbon? Will you only sip this neat? Would you sip it on the rocks or, and, and so for me, it's like, well, neither. I mean, like I'm enjoying it out of this, but like the way that I would enjoy this best is on a nice big rock, but with a twist and the twist would vary. What am I feeling? Am I feeling orange? Am I feeling lemon? Maybe a little bit of grapefruit. Um, like the twist for me would be the little accent on the honey. And I I don't think I'd want to put bitters in here, Hmm. do like an unsweetened or lightly sweetened with the honey old fashioned, I would want that twist. I want that little element that kind of brings me um, like out of this as bourbon a little bit. I, I, I think that, and I, I think that to me is is where I sit with this company and with their offerings right now. Like, I think they're doing cool things with their bourbon, and I think they're having to deal with this tremendous tension, which is like, bourbon people want bourbon, bourbon man wants bourbon, ah. And then they're like, but we could do like some kind of cool stuff with this, guys. Like, we could put some coffee, we can do all this stuff. And I'm more interested in that direction where it's like, no, can we make this a little weirder, please? Like, that to me would be more exciting. And so that's why I think I'd want this with a twist on the rocks. Get me a little bit of dilution, a little bit of chill, and use that honey as almost like an off ramp for wherever else I can take this on my palate. Like, this is, it's interesting. And I think it's a vehicle that is going somewhere. And I'll am you know, I'll be honest, I'm, I'd be interested to follow this company purely out of the curiosity of if they're going to be doing even stranger, more delightful stuff than honey, which is beautiful. It's lovely, but it's a little bit safe.
1: Let me give you one uh, takeaway for uh, maybe don't even finish your glass and try this. I just poured the rest of my seltzer into this. Made Mm. a little bit of a almost salty highball. Um, Uh, So, do you, I mean, if you recall, the Centauri Toki whiskey is deliberately made to be as aggressive as possible to dilute. I'm not saying an ice cold, hyper bubbly. That was the last like half ounce of a can of seltzer I've been using to cleanse my palate throughout this. Just had a little bit of Werther's going on and. So not quite room temperature cool, not ice cold, not so cold, but I could see you using this as a vehicle to make some really excellent highballs. Maybe not the coffee, maybe the coffee, but definitely the honey, possibly the rum. And I'd love to see them oh, yeah. do a bit more of that. It gives me really good feelings. That I think I'm slam dunk, that's what I'm gonna do with the rest of this, is I'm gonna make highballs with it.
0: I think that is probably the best place to wrap this up because bourbon highballs, I think they're awesome. They don't get nearly as much respect or traction as they should in this day and age. And so, yeah, two recommendations for Oak and Eden. Well, maybe three. Number one, keep doing what you're doing. It's interesting. It's at the very least fun. And, you know, you clearly clearly get a lot of folks who are kind of, interested in exploring what that looks like number two like get a little weirder like see where else we can go with this because uh, if anything I think bourbon's stagnating and trying to become almost a parody of itself in some ways and then number three yeah hashtag bourbon highballs all the way
1: hell yeah bourbon highball you put that twist you you suggested
0: yes see this is teamwork this is why we taste together this is
1: why. All right. Well, I'm going to go have a couple of bourbon high balls.
0: This has been awesome. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I, Hey, I appreciate you, uh, taking the time to do this with me. I'm glad that we kind of shortened our new noteworthy format a little bit. Hopefully that allows us to do it a little bit more frequently. And, uh, as always folks, thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you next time right here on the modern bar cart podcast. Ethan, cheers to you, my friend. Cheers. This episode was made possible with editing and sound design by Samantha Reed, Spirits Insights, courtesy of Ethan Hall, and a little bit of online research magic by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2023.